As a disclaimer, since recording this episode, Brandon is now the president of the Warriors. Grit is like that commitment that's it's persevering through adversity. And we talked about this a little bit, like where you see what people's true character is, but it's making the best of, of the situation no matter what it is and always doing what it takes to get the job done and looking forward. Hi, I'm Jubin, go-to-market partner at Kleiner Perkins, and this is GTMG, a show that interviews world-class revenue and go-to-market leaders to explore how they operate, think, and deploy grit every day in order to build incredible companies. Now let's get to the episode. Brandon, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jubin. I get every single one of these started by reading my guest background back to them. So if you'll indulge me, I will go ahead and read your background to you. Tell me what I screw up here, okay? You got your BA in economics from UCLA. You started at the Warriors in 2002, 18 and a half years ago-ish. You started in ticket sales, uh, season ticket account executive. You did that for two years. You got your first management gig. You were the manager of ticket sales. Then you were the assistant director for ticket sales. You did that for a year. Director for ticket sales, two years. Executive director of ticket sales, two years. VP of ticket sales and services, three years. Group vice president for ticket sales and services, year and a half. For three years, you then became the senior VP for business development. And then as of three years ago, you are the chief revenue officer. You're also a part owner of Team Liquid and the Los Angeles Football Club. Almost nailed it. So Team Liquid is in the past. I was involved and the Warriors have, we have our own team, the Golden Guardians. So no Team Liquid anymore. And then the only other thing I would say is, as you can see by all those job titles, like over the years, I think it was like, let's just give them a promotion. That way we don't have to give them more money because I've had <laughs> nine job titles in 18 years. You know, it would have been weird if I nailed it. I've literally never once yet nailed it. So maybe at this point, I'm just intentionally tomahawking my guests' backgrounds. You were also in the Business Journal's 40 Under 40. So I'm particularly excited for this episode because it's different. Selfishly, I'm a giant fan of the Warriors. I've been a fan as long as you've worked there. So the same heartache that we've experienced over the last 20 years is the same peaks and valleys, I should say. So selfishly, I, I can't wait to do this. Honestly, usually I have to do a lot more research for my episodes, but there's plenty of questions and a lot of curiosity. Okay, let's just fast forward to the Warriors today. Worth $4.7 billion, second only to the Knicks. It's just like, like worth more than the Lakers. If I had told you that 20 years ago, what would you have said? If you had told me we were going to be worth $4.7 billion or the second most valuable team, I mean, first thing I would have, I probably wouldn't have had any idea how to evaluate that because I was 21. Yeah. But if I did, I would not have believed you. Fair enough. And all boats rise with the tide. And again, I'm putting you on the hot seat here. I could have done this myself. But how much approximately is the least valuable team worth today. The market has grown here. Do you think it's less than a billion, more than a billion? I think it's more. I think the least valuable team is probably in like the one three to one five range. Again, this is according to Forbes. And I'll just say, Jim, we don't look at that. We personally don't look at that a lot only because Joe Lake of Peter Gubernart, like will probably never sell the team. And so it's kind of, we almost view it as sort of irrelevant, but I understand like it's an interesting, I mean, relevant to this conversation, it's interesting in, in terms of talking about value. Yeah, this is media. It's a vanity metric. It's exciting for me. I get to talk in the billions, which is fun. And I'll tell you <laughs> what, honestly, what it does is what I'm going to try and do throughout this episode is in some ways draw distinctions, but in others draw parallels to the companies that we typically have on this show. 
And I think valuation is one way for the audience to start to frame up, okay, like what does this organization mean in the world as we understand it? So I wanted to do it, but I figured you could do it better. I want to talk about the product being the team for a second. How good were the Warriors in this last six, seven years? I had the privilege of going to a lot of games mainly because my best friend's dad was the team doctor. And uh, up until then, I could never afford an actual Warriors game. But product-wise, how elite was this product over the last six or seven years? Well, so you said you've been to a lot of games. I've missed 21 games in the last 19 seasons, including this year, by the way. I don't know how I get deemed essential staff, but I did. So I go to the games this year too. One of like 100 people in the stands. So how elite were we? So we were the first NBA team since 1966 to go to five straight finals. That's Bill Russell Celtics. During those years, most of those years, there's eight teams in the league. Now there's 30. So it's a little different percentage and just a different with free agency. It's just harder to do, I think you would argue. And we're the first team in any of the four major sports in North America to make five straight finals since 1984. That was the Islanders in the NHL. So there's a quick moniker there. 73 wins in a season, most ever, you know, beat Jordan's Bulls. I don't think that'll, I mean, who you can't say never, but I don't think that'll ever be broken. Painfully, we did not win the title that year, and we could talk about why. But three titles in five years, you know, for all of us sports fans, in particular coming off of, uh, we had an 18-year span where we made the playoffs one time. I joke with Joe Lacob, during that span, what I would tell Joe all the time, because he wasn't here for these bad years, but I said, Joe, we were just trying to get the eighth seed. We have a better chance of winning the championship. You know, this is like circa 2017. We have a better chance of winning the championship than we did of just making the playoffs back in the day. If you think about that, that is mind-boggling, right? And it was a true statement. But we had there were 16 teams to make the playoffs. Only one wins the championship. I mean, I could keep going, but you know, you talk about Steph Curry, two straight MVPs, first unanimous MVP, getting Kevin Durant added to what was already a championship team, which you know was unbelievable. The list goes on and on. But it was, I don't think people truly have yet appreciated just how special that period was. And the great news is it's not over. I think I think we're, we're leading back to it again. Yep, I agree. I say that and I ask that because it is such a dichotomy from, to your point, how bad we were. I mean, we were just, there's no other way around it. We were bad. I mean, I've heard you talk about, we had to try to be as bad as we were. Like it was historically bad. The reason I'm saying this is because the title of the podcast is called Grit, okay? And there's a euphemism for grit that I've heard that I think Angela Duckworth might have coined, basically called stick with itness. And you've been on this team for 19 years. And I'll tell you, the first thing that struck me was stick with itness. I thought, man, and like, look, you obviously got promoted every year or two because you were good. You knew how to sell. And like, this is an output oriented game, like season tickets, cold calling, like that's your first job, right? It was cold calling and it's a volume game. Like it is like as SDR as SDR gets, right? Like just straight volume. And you were good at it and you did a good job. After a year, call it like four or five, you make director. It's pretty obvious that you're good at it. You probably had your pick of the litter. Like that's what, 2007, Kobe's coming to the Lakers at that point. There's a lot of opportunities, not very far from you. I guess what I wanted to explore with you first is, why didn't you leave? And there was no signs of things turning around. 
maybe you knew from the inside something that I didn't know from the outside, but I didn't think ownership was going to change. I didn't see any of that happening. You know, when we had Baron Davis, that was like the best thing ever or like the We Believe team. I look back at that now and I'm like, what a pathetic glimmer of hope. So tell me more about like that stick with itness. Like, what's the deal with that? Why didn't you leave? I think that's all really well said. You mentioned the promotions and that stuff, which I guess that's a piece of it, but it's more just having the opportunity to learn and grow. I also just am sort of loyal by nature. I mean, I, you know, I worked in a grocery store starting when I was 15 years old and got to the point where I was sort of running the store. And I've had a couple jobs before I got into a career and was always loyal. So there's some loyalty there. I think it's also like, you know, it's interesting being in the Bay Area, like, you know, we partner with great companies and everyone knows, you know, you look at like Google and you look at Facebook and Apple and partners of ours, Oracle, HPE, you know, all these big tech companies. And it's interesting because those are those are great companies to work for. I know people that work for all those companies and love it, but they're huge, huge companies. Accenture is another partner. They have 500,000 employees. You know, we have about 400. And I've been lucky to always be in a situation where I actually had a chance to have a say or have an impact on what we do as an organization. And so that for me, that's it's been awesome. And, and there's times like to your point, Juven, like where you, you know, other opportunities come up, whether it's in sports or outside of sports, you always listen, right? You always think about it. But always having a chance to grow and having a voice and like, you know, I grew up loving sports, having a chance to sort of shape the direction of the Warriors. Like one of the things that's unique and part of our secret sauce, and I'm jumping around a little bit, but since Joe and Peter bought the team in, in 2010, is the way the basketball and business work together. That was not how sports teams used to work, and it's still not how a lot of teams work. But like Bob Myers, our GM, we have a weekly executive meeting with business VPs and above. Bob Myers sits in on that meeting. That's just one example of it. Kirk Lacob's our assistant GM. He's invo- heavily involved in business stuff as well because we succeed together, right? As the basketball team is better, certainly that makes our job easier. But look, as we drive revenue, that's what enables us to go into the luxury tax every year, which is part of what enables our success. So it, we work really closely together. And so being in a position to work for my hometown team, which not everyone gets to do, I'm lucky to be able to do that. But to be in a position where you have had a chance to grow and really impact the success not just of the business, but ultimately the basketball team. Totally. On the loyalty piece. So do you think loyalty is a circumstance of your environment? What I mean by that is if you're in tech, if you're in software sales, you could go do that for hundreds of companies, quite literally, and probably be successful. This notion of loyalty, maybe it's a generational thing, maybe it's not. You're not tied to optionality. And so if there is a a seemingly unlimited option pool, then loyalty doesn't matter. And you're really just making decisions based on, can the organization give me what I want at this time? Now, is that the right thing to do or not? I think that's another debate. I would argue it's not because then you lose the stick withedness. You don't actually have to have that. Maybe my question is, there's only 31 other teams. You can't just bounce around. Maybe you can, you tell me. So first of all, there's 29 other teams in the NBA, Juven. NFL has 32, but- Got it. Your point about generational and and being in the same job, this day and age, very few people are in their job for 19 years. And and I think that's even, it's probably even more true in sports. I think there is a culture in sports. Like a lot of people do jump from team to team, you know, for the chance to grow. So I've been fortunate to have a chance to grow without having to do that, which I think a lot of people would probably prefer to do if they had that opportunity. So that's one piece is you talk about loyalty and optionality. You know, the other thing that we talk about, like, the grass isn't always greener, right? So people do jump from job to job. And and I think part of that is you go to the next job and you go, ah, then you go to the next job. I think when you get more entrenched in the culture and being part of what a company does, like 
in theory, it does get better over time. And we're lucky. Like, there's a couple of things I would say. Jerry West was on our executive board several years ago. Everyone knows Jerry West, NBA logo. And one of the things he said to us, and I think he probably stole this quote from like Aristotle or something, but I heard it from Jerry West. And he said, if you find something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And that resonates with me so much because I spend, and a lot of us do, spend far too many of our waking hours working, but I doing something I love with people that I really like working with. And so, you know, as you sort of mix all that together, like, I love what I do. I love coming to work every day. So it would take a real special opportunity for me to really consider doing something else. That makes total sense. Angela Duckworth talks about grit being the combination of passion and perseverance. Passion is love. That's what it is. Like, you got to find something that you love. And I couldn't agree more. If you find a job that never in a day feels like a job, how can someone compete with you? If you're always working, but it never feels like work to you, how can you lose? Especially if it's a like volume oriented game where you're making cold calls or whatever, you can't lose. You just can't. You mentioned the ownership change. I want to talk about that. How did things change? And let me be specific. Lakeup buys the team with Peter Goober and very quickly within a surprising amount of time, things start to change. We draft Steph Curry. That certainly helped, et cetera, et cetera. Draymond. Clay, we drafted all of them. And then we get some free agents along the way, Iguodala, et cetera, et cetera, Livingston. So there is a trend that I've noticed, no secret, but like you see the Clippers and Balmer, you see what's happening with Lakeup, you see what's starting to be successful organizations being run by those who were successful in, in this case, tech, but really in running businesses outside of sports franchises. I will leave it open-ended for you, but like how did things change? Do you think it had anything to do with where Joe and Peter came from? And what kind of principles do you think they applied from that world into making what is the organization today successful? Yeah, I can argue this is the most important question you could ask me, Juven. So when you first ask what changed when they bought the team, my first answer is everything. And by the way, like I have nothing but good things to say about our prior regime. Robert Rowell, I actually interviewed, he was our old president. I interviewed with him directly. So if it weren't for him, I would never have started working for the Warriors. Chris Cohan was always very good to me. I got to know him decently well. My last couple of years, he owned the team. So nothing but good things. And by the way, we expected, I was selling tickets back in the early days and we were always talking playoffs because season ticket holders, right? Like I get my tickets for the playoffs. Every year we were selling playoffs and I really believed it. I realized later I may have been delusional. I'll give you a quote. Rick Welts is, is my boss our president. He's an NBA Hall of Famer, even though he's never played in the NBA. So he, it's what's called a contributor. Very hard to do, but he's, he's a Hall of Famer. I give him a hard time because I've seen him say this 75 times in different talks. But you know, he says there's three things you need to be successful sports franchise. Ownership, ownership, and ownership. And then he usually follows that by saying, and we hit the Powerball. And I think it's right on you know, if you could pick anyone to own the team that you love, that you're passionate about to use, you know, use those as synonyms, as you said, it would be Joe Lacob and Peter Goober. Matter of fact, when they bought the team back in 2010, the rumor, if you recall, Jubin, was that it was going to be Larry Ellison. And I think initially, everyone's heard of Larry Ellison, right? One of the wealthiest people in the world. And, and I think initially, there may have been some disappointment. But I think people realized pretty quickly, like, you know, Joe Lake and Peter Goober came in and we have, we have other owners, but those are the two main owners. And this is like what they do. I mean, Peter owns a couple of other teams as well. This is what Joe does full time. And Peter is very, very involved as well. And when you talk about like the perfect ownership group, they're polar opposites. You mentioned, you know, Joe Lacob coming from DC, coming from Kleiner Perkins, very into basketball, into the business of basketball. Peter Goober's Hollywood. He, you know, he makes movies. 
I would take me the next 20 minutes to give you his bio, but he's into the fan experience, game presentation. The thing he taught us early on is we want to be a digitally fit franchise, right? So they're like the perfect yin and yang. And I get a front row seat for all of this. They've both been incredible mentors for me. So these guys are amazing. To answer the other part of what you, you said in there in terms of kind of the the more recent transactions in the NBA and the kind of owners that are coming in, I do think that you're seeing kind of a transition within sports, right? I mean, you brought this up early with the Forbes valuations, but the values of sports teams have gone up quite a bit. The amount these players make in all, all sports, not just the NBA, continues to go up, which, you know, is deserved. I mean, they're they're the product that's driving the business. So I think as these teams now sell for larger valuations, these are real businesses. You know, as a fan, you want to believe, like, win at all costs. And we're lucky, by the way, that that's how Joe Lacob and Peter Guber think, which is why, you know, it gives us a competitive advantage because we are spending, you know, more than, you know, our payroll has been right there at the highest in NBA history for the last several years. So we're willing to do that and invest. But, you know, in the old days, it was just different. So you had more mom and pop run teams. I mean, when I started with the Warriors, I think we had like 70 people and now we have over 400. So it's just changed a lot. And I, you could argue, you know, when Joe and Peter bought the team in 2010, it was $450 million, which was the most ever paid for an NBA team. And then, you know, you, you recited some of the numbers Forbes-wise. So it just gives you a sense of how things have evolved so rapidly over that, you know, that last 10 or 11 years. Would it be fair, and dude, tell me if I'm way off base here, my very rudimentary definition of a great leader is that they can do basically everything wrong. But if they identify and can hire and recruit great talent, they are just fine. You could do everything else wrong, but if you don't do that well, you are not an excellent leader. Is it fair to say that like at the foundation of what they do well is hire great people like you and promoting you to the role that you're in, Rick Welts and bringing him in, them not topping you or putting someone else there and trusting you, bringing in Bob Myers, the GM, you attributed a quote to Bob Myers that said, it's hard to go from a bad to a good team. It's really hard to go from a good to a great team. And that's a coach bringing in Steve Kerr. Is it fair to say that at the very least, they are involved in everything recruitment from KD up and down? So Juven, I'm smiling as I'm listening to you because you, you hit the nail on the head. And this is something that Joe Lacob talks about a lot. And Peter believes it too. But I, I hear Joe talk about this a lot, which is hire smart people and then let them do their job. I'm going to put myself to the side because they didn't hire me. And I don't know if I fit into that. You know, And honestly, when they bought the team, I'll say, this is kind of an aside, but I was one of, I think, eight or nine VPs and we had a president. And within about a year and a half, they didn't come in and just fire everybody, which some some people may do. They came in and evaluated things, got through a season. And then within a year and a half, I was the only one of that group left. And then we had our head of PR worked for us and actually got elevated during that span. So he's been here, but he was one level below. And then everyone else was brought in. But And what you're saying is right. I mean, the way I explain it to people is I think they looked at every area of the business and said, we want to be the best at every area. And not just the best in the league, but the best in every area of the business. And that's how they look at things. And it's interesting because people have different views publicly of Joe, Peter, different people. But these guys, like, I mean, I sit in meetings. We're built Chase Center. These guys, we used to meet. Peter lives in L.A. He'd fly up every week for these meetings. We'd have two, three-hour meetings every single Thursday with architects and a handful of us going through every detail of Chase Center. But we're sitting there. It's ultimately their decision. It's their money, you know, privately financed arena. And, you know, you're sitting there. And the, what do you think, Brandon? 
What do you think, Rick? You know, our CMO at the time was a guy by the name of Chip Bowers who went on to run the Miami Marlins. Now he runs Elevate Sports Ventures. What do you think, Chip? You know, what do you think? And they want to, they want everyone's opinion. And nine times out of 10, they go with what we all say. There's, you know, on, on occasion, Joe's like, I hear what you're saying, but I really think this. And then you, then you listen to him because he, you know, he knows. But what you said is exactly right. Hire the best people and let them do their job. Yeah, it's funny. Like in some ways, venture capital is a services business. You work on behalf of others to provide a great service. And it's a sales job. It's just a sexy sales job. So he's like pretty well suited for it. Selling is a team sport in Kleiner Perkins portfolio in early deals, like your first 20, screw it, your first hundred, actually it doesn't matter. It could be your thousands customers. The deal is valuable enough. Everybody's involved. CEO on down. Selling is a team sport. Do not be a hero. I always tell the reps on our teams in the portfolio, do not be a hero. Selling is a team sport. Don't bring Medusa's head to the table on your own. Nobody's going to be impressed. Because if you lose and you don't do that and you don't bring everyone and all the resources that you have around the table in order to win, we failed as an organization. How involved is he selling in the team sport? So again, I'm very well said. I agree with everything you just said, 1000%. And I've seen people in organizations that didn't have that mantra and, and want to get credit and want to you know, show their chops. And that, you're right, it doesn't work. I would say that Joe and Peter and Rick and all the people you mentioned, Bob, Steve, are all involved as involved as we ask them to be. And these are busy people, right? So we try and be respectful of their time. But when we're doing like, let's just talk about our corporate partnerships, right? Which is a large revenue stream and important part of our business. And when we're talking to these Fortune 500, Fortune 50 companies, they don't want to partner with, you know, Mike Kitts runs our corporate partnership team. He's a great guy. They're not doing a deal with him and his team. They're doing a deal with the Warriors, right? They want to know that we're true partners. They're not sponsors, they're partners. These are companies like Google Cloud. We're doing, we do all kinds of stuff with them, Adobe. And so to the extent that we can allow these companies to get to know all of us, not the least important of which is Joe Lacob, it's indicative of how we're going to treat the partnership once they agree to it, right? That they see during sort of that courting process as we're getting to know each other and see if it's the right fit. You know, they know from the top down what this is. And, and the fact that Joe is involved and Peter is involved and Rick is involved, how important this is. You know, again, this isn't a sponsorship. This is a partnership. You're part of our success. So I, I think it's critical. Yep, absolutely. Agreed. So I want to talk a little bit about like how the product, in this case, the team, enables value to the organization, okay? And value being revenue, et cetera. We talk about, and not to draw an unfair parallel, but there's companies like Slack that we refer to as product-led growth, Kleiner portfolio company. It is very viral. The thing just works. You get it into an organization. You guys are probably using Slack, I'd imagine. We are. You know, you get more people into it. You communicate with each other. There's really no sales team. At least in the beginning, there certainly wasn't. It's a very user-friendly, very low overhead way of just getting in the door. How much of the rise of the warriors that they are today is product-led growth, i.e., going back to the beginning of our conversation, the bar for the least valuable franchise is 3x what the warriors were 20 years ago. But like, how much of what the warriors are now is the second most valuable franchise in the NBA is product-led? because of who we have on the court and the way that they deliver an amazing product every night. So for listeners, what I think Jubin is leading to is that my job doesn't really matter. <laughs> and by the way, Slack also said that doesn't matter. And by the way, it did matter over the long run. Continue. Sorry. <laughs> I'm having fun with you, but I actually uh, think that's true. Here's how I would say it. When you think about our product, 
It's the basketball team, yes. It's the fan experience. It's the broadcast experience. It's Chase Center. It's digital. So it's it's all these things. Now it's all centered around the basketball team, which is kind of the you know what you led with. But it's the overall product because one of the things we talk about as an organization, like when the team is playing how we were for that five year span versus last year, does that have an effect on the business? Yes. Right. More people want to go to the game when we're winning 73 games than last year when we win. We go 15 and 50. And by the way, Clay Thompson's hurt and Stephen Curry's hurt. You know, some yep. of the, some of the big stars that we all want to see. Look, I'm a fan just like everybody else. Right. Like what Stephen Curry is doing again this year is unbelievable. So that is a big part of it. But we what we talk about is how do we create a business that's sustainable regardless of the inevitable ups and downs of the basketball team? And that when I go to fan experience, like Chase Center is a big part of that. Like we want people and part of that's believing in the future, the direction of the team. So it's team performance, but it's also what's the trajectory. We're number one in the NBA. And I'm probably not supposed to say this, but in TV ratings this year, RSNs, local TV ratings, we lead the NBA. And why is that? You know, we're 19 and 16. We're, we're a good team, right? We're playing well, but we're not the best team in the league right now, but we're compelling. It's fun. So we're, we're compelling. It's Curry. It's Wiseman. It's all the different, you know, Kelly Oubre Jr., Andrew Wiggins. But it's also the trajectory and the excitement around the team. So the product is a big part of what we do, and we invest heavily, whether that's the basketball team, the arena, the fan experience, digital, all of it. Yeah, okay. And, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit here, but you mentioned it, so I want to double-click. On the, the ratings piece, are you signing TV deals, and are those TV deals already inked? And do you make more money if your ratings are higher? And I, I know that sounds like a stupid question, but don't you ink the deal that's a long-term deal that you've already agreed to with the contract with the media company beforehand? Like, do ratings actually matter for revenue dollars through that contract? Obviously, ratings matter for other things because people are interested, which gets them generally into the Warriors ecosystem. But in that specific example. Juven, are you sure you didn't work in sports in a, in a former <laughs> life? You got, no, you're, look, you're, you're, you're right. So does it make us extra money in terms of our agreement with NBC Sports Bay Area? No. And our agreement is, you know, these are long-term deals. They're usually, with most teams, they're like 20-year agreements. Now, first of all, we want to be good partners. We believe if our partners are successful, we'll be successful. And they're, they're a hugely important partner, clearly. And as you said, the way we present the game and engage fans, you know, helps us grow our brand, grow our business. You know, we have a couple hundred thousand households watching every one of our games locally, which is a huge number. That's a huge outlet to talk to our fans. The value, and, and I don't know if this is directly what you were alluding to, Juven, but there is direct value in terms of like, all the signage that we have, like part of our, a lot of our partnership deals is TV visible signage. When you watch our games right now, you see the dub hub, by the way, which is awesome. Interactive, you know, fan. Yeah, sweet. You know, we don't, we can't have live fans. So we have 120 virtual fans a game. No other team is doing that, by the way. But then we have new digital signs in there. You see the, the stuff on the court, like there's different things that you see. The value of, of all that increases as ratings go up, obviously, right? It's more eyeballs on the signage. So, so there, are, there are aspects of that that you know, impact revenue in the short run, but it's really more, it's more of a long-term brand play. And obviously it'll go into the next you know, negotiation on, on our next media rights deal. Right, that makes sense. Okay, thanks for clearing that up. If I'm over-glamorizing this, just tell me to shut up. But how much easier are getting things like, again, product-led growth. I think about like Steph Curry being the leader of the team or like the face of the franchise. I mean, the dude's changed the NBA forever. But are things easier when you have someone who is such a great spokesperson for the Warriors? Is it easier to get sponsorships? Does it change the paradigm and the culture and the way people view the organization when you have a leader that is just such a good spokesperson? I don't know how else to say that. 
Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you one other way to say it. I think the answer is yes. I mean, I think, look, all these things matter, right? It, it all goes into your brand because when companies want to do business with us and fans, quite frankly, want to do business with us, it's who are you working with? Do you trust them? So there's a different way to say it. Our head of PR who works with the players closely, what he likes to say is Stephen Curry is a better human being than he is a basketball player. Let that sink in for a second, right? And this guy is one of the best players of all time, you know, two-time MVP, and he's a better person than he is a basketball player. And I think that really says it. And by the way, this is this is a testament to Bob Myers, Steve Kerr, Joe Lacob, Peter Goober. This is purposeful as we, you know, we build our team, we build it as a team, you know, and so character, obviously basketball talent is a big part of recruiting and, and looking at basketball players, but character is a big part of the equation for us in particular. And then the other thing I would say is like, part of when you say Steph Curry is a great spokesman, I, you know, I think that's a broad statement, which I agree with, you know, part of it's like, what does he do in the community? The Warriors Community Foundation, um, Joe's wife, Nicole, is the president of our board. I'm on the board as well. So I get to work with her firsthand. But, you know, we're doing five or six million dollars in impact every year to San Francisco and Alameda counties focused on education. This is something that Steph and all of our players, Draymond Green, who I'm remiss and not having mentioned yet, you know, Wiggins, Ubre, all these guys are super committed, led by Stephen Curry and Draymond and Clay. But it's critical. Yep. Okay. Fair. And there's a rabbit hole that I'm going to bite my tongue that I'm not going to go down yet, but characteristics and qualities that, that you're looking for. Before I do, 2016 when we got KD, is that right? Oh, you're putting me on the spot. Yes. July 4th of 2016. I remember the day well. I was on the 405. It was super trafficy. I got a text and I swerved from the center lane onto the shoulder and I was alone screaming at the top of my lungs. I thought there was no chance. From a revenue perspective, and I know that like, I'm pretty sure that you weren't even sure if we were like, it was kind of dicey. It was quite the sales pitch. It's Kevin freaking Durant. When you found out from a revenue perspective, when you get someone like Kevin Durant to join the team, what's the first thing that goes through your head besides like, we're going to be a better team? Yeah. So it's hard to bifurcate. So I, I remember where I was too. I was at Carneros Inn in wine country with these long playoff runs. Like we don't have much of an off season. So July 4th is we have games on Christmas, all the holidays. So July 4th is a fun holiday to, to get away. And if you remember, we had just lost game seven against Cleveland. And I don't know the exact date, but it was probably about June 18th. Yeah. So it was about two weeks before that, which was heartbreaking. 73-win season. You're down 3-1 to Oklahoma City, Kevin Durant's team at the time. Come back and win that series. I was at game six in Oklahoma City, one of the best basketball games I've ever been to. That's when Clay went crazy, right? Yep. And Steph had a great game, too, but Clay had 11 threes. That was the game after the game where Joe Lacob's doing the we're not worthy. I mean, I was standing right there. It's unbelievable. I'll never forget those memories. But anyway, then you go to the finals. You're up 3-1 against Cleveland now, and you end up losing in seven. Heartbreaking, right? After the season we had, it just was not supposed to end that way. So two weeks later, we get Kevin Durant. I think that's my memory of it is, you know, just like it was just going to be a tough stretch. And we get him, and it kind of – it really eased the pain quite a bit. Totally. From a revenue perspective, we had just come off a championship and a 73-win season. So we were on an amazing trajectory. We're constantly trying. And the way we think about it, Jubin, like it's not like revenue first. We really think about fan experience. If we do right by our fans and we do right by our partners, you know, the revenue comes. And so that's we continue to want to innovate and think about ways we can see what's around the corner. What do they say? Skate where the puck is headed. So that's how we think about it. I wouldn't say any one thing in particular, but just it, it just cemented like, wow, this organization, look at where we've gotten to and where we're going to continue to go to. And, and, and by the way, I still think of that today, right? Like Kevin obviously made the decision to go to Brooklyn, which, you know, we all support. We're bummed, obviously, you know, but we're building back to get right back to that point. Yeah, no doubt. And you mentioned this, so I want to talk about it. Again, this show, a lot of the time comes down to a few 
pretty central themes, one of which is resilience. And again, another euphemism for grit, kind of adjacent, but nonetheless, how do you build a resilient organization? And that is through and through. How does the culture that you set, how is it buoyant enough to withstand a heartbreaking loss that you mentioned? Best season ever, best regular season ever, 73 wins, and we're down 3-1. We overcome it in the Western Conference Finals. I think we're up 3-2, if I was not mistaken, to LeBron. Maybe down, doesn't matter. It was game seven, loss, like heartbreaking. You better have a resilient organization. You better be able to bounce back from that. And this is sports, like this is how it goes. Are there any things that you really think about that the organization reiterates or that the team, the players do in order to actively practice the skill of resilience? So first of all, don't feel too sorry for us after losing. I mean, coming off a championship, 73 wins, go to the finals. There's 28 teams that would take that, right? Yep. But at the time, success was very binary. We win the championship or we lose. No, that 100%. Fair? Yeah, no, totally, totally true. So resiliency-wise, I would bifurcate it a little bit. So you mentioned the basketball team, and I'll answer that in the sense of like, so leadership, right? And we talked about ownership, and then the next layer is leadership. When you talk on the basketball side about Bob Myers and Steve Kerr, it's two of the best leaders out there. And, and these guys, you know, they're leaders within our basketball organization, but these are the kind of people like, we, when we have Bob or Steve speak to our partners, they like want them to come speak to the organizations, not because of their title, but because of what they have to say. These guys are incredible human beings that care about our players, know our players, not just because they're good at basketball, right? But because of who they are as people. I mean, I've learned so much from those two guys in, in terms of how they look at that stuff. Because that's what, as a fan, you don't see that, right? You know, the free agency, people are going from team to team and coaches are getting fired. And like, it's a tough business, right? And so these guys are different than what you see and what I've seen through the years and what you see with other teams. So I think from a resilience standpoint, like Bob Myers, it was ironic that you read a quote because he's big. He, he has all the quotes. And Bob and I both went to UCLA. So he, he likes wooden quotes in particular, John Wooden, 10 of 11 championships back in the day. So what Bob Myers always talks about is like when we're winning and everything's going well, it's easy. When you really find out about people is when you hit adversity. I think you're thinking about that before it hits, right? Like, so you've already sort of thought through and you, and the character of the people you have that you're working with and the way that you work as a team enable you to withstand that. And so that, that would carry over to the business side as well. I think it's also just understanding, like there's different things on the business side. Like we don't control directly what happens on the court. So you sort of know, like we have to control what we can control. We also take it as a challenge. Like it's glass half full, right? No matter what hand you're dealt, you are going to make the most of it. You know, I was joking, like, don't feel too sorry for us. But people, like, when I talk to people with other teams and other leagues, like, the joke is, uh, you know, I'm sitting here with my feet up because we've got a great product. We've got a great basketball team. You already outlined that words don't really need me. The product's great. My first 10 years, we made the playoffs one time. So you learn to make the most of that opportunity. And then as you get good, so it's, I think that's where the resilience comes in is you deal with the hand that you're dealt and you just are always focused on maximizing the opportunity and looking ahead, being innovative and seeing what's next and what's that next opportunity. Yep. Fair enough. The ticket sales organization rolls up to you assumptively, like season tickets, et cetera. When you hire who was you 18 years ago, right? When people reach out and how can I get involved and, and you bring on this team, it's a two-part question. I'm trying not to do these, but I can't help myself. What are the characteristics and qualities that you look for? And do you think there are similarities 
obviously not in physical stature, but in the traits that they have in the mindsets, in their experiences, in their past experiences, that you could draw analogous to what the organization looks for in players? These jobs, like for me, it's a lot of times it's people coming out of college, you know, they're entry level ticket sales positions for the most part. And so you're not looking at experience so much, you know, people that did internships and things like that. Great sports management programs. Great. By the way, I did none of that. People reach out to me on LinkedIn and other places. And I, you know, I say, I'll tell you my path. Just don't follow a lot of these things because I was not smart. That may have continued to an extent. You're judging character for sure. And when we talk about grit, like do what it takes to get the job done. It's work ethic, which work ethic to me is not like you have to work 74 hours a day or that would be hard, you know, 15 hours a day, but maximizing your time and and again, doing everything it takes to get it done. I think perseverance, right? Because you're going to get a lot of no's. So you got to stick with it. Passion. You know, if you're not excited, confidence, by the way, if you're not excited about, you know, what you're talking about, the person on the other end of the phone is not going to be either. Confidence is so important. Confidence in yourself, confidence in your product, confidence in the organization, the team, I think it's all of that. And then just, you know, just intangibles, like how bad do people want it? You know, when I talk to people, I want people that really want to be here. This is sports, right? Like there's a lot of other things you could be looking at selling, especially when you're, when you're in ticket sales, you're talking basketball all day. Like this is unbelievable. So you want people that have that energy because a lot of what we're doing in the world's changed. So it's, different than when I started in 2002 when it was like all phone calls. But when you're on the phone with somebody, all you have is somebody's voice, right? If it's just like a blah, 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 like you need someone who's passionate. In terms of parallels to players, you know, that's interesting. I haven't thought of it that way. We did have an assistant coach. I mean, all the things that you said are like, you're telling me like a Draymond, he's the grittiest guy I've ever seen. Like your passion, all those traits that you were describing are There's so many parallels to sports athletes and what you have to do in sales. I think that's right. Draymond's a great example. And I think the other one that I would add, and this is as you pivot to how it equates to sales, like I think one of the things that's critical for our players is doing what it takes to win, being all about the team and all about winning, because that's, you know, it's it's interesting. As you look at the NBA, like there's so much at stake. These players make a lot of money and it's individual stats and it's free agency and all these things. So sometimes they have individual incentives, not dissimilar from companies, right? Where, you know, everybody wants to grow and make more money. I mean, I talk about this a lot with people that are aspiring to get into sports and to grow. Everyone wants to get the next job and get promoted. The difference is how you go about that. If you're in it for yourself, maybe you find a short-term win somewhere, but it it just doesn't work. And it sounds utopian, but if you're a team player and you're always doing what's right for the organization, you're making yourself valuable to the organization. It's like, it'd be crazy not to promote Juven. Like everything he does turns to gold. I I guess that's probably a bad example, but- um, Terrible example, terrible, yeah. But so it's the same thing. You're trying to get this team culture where these guys are focused on winning. And Draymond Green is the best example of that. First of all, he's the most competitive. Bob Myers talks about being competitive. Draymond Green, Stephen Curry. Stephen Curry- Nicest guy, like we said, is uber competitive. But yeah. Draymond Green's a great example of what we're talking about because he doesn't put up big numbers. I mean, he's getting his his assist numbers are big and he's getting his triple doubles, 25 triple doubles, franchise high. But he's not he doesn't score a ton of points, right? He he could score more points, but he wants to do what it takes to win. Yeah. You need guys like that. How much does market matter? And I'll be specific, not the market of like, oh, you're in Oakland versus San Francisco. You're still the Bay Area. Like this is a Bay Area market. How much does market matter for like you're in Milwaukee versus LA versus the Bay Area versus what was Seattle, whatever. I'm just trying to figure out like, well, does it really matter? Because 
we were in this market all the time. We've always been in this market. And it doesn't mean that that necessarily translated to value. So market matters. I mean, first of all, there's, you know, certain places where players would prefer to live, right? And different players would have different answers. I think market matters less today than it did five, certainly 10, 15 years ago. And it's, it's just because of the nature of the world, the digital nature of the world. Like in the past, you needed to be in a big media market, right? To get the attention as a player. And that translates to your brand. Well, now everything's global. Everything's, you know, it's social media, everything's online. So whether you're in Milwaukee, New York, you know, San Francisco, Memphis, you can have that same footprint in an online world. I think brand is critical. So like, you know, you look at the Lakers or you look at the Celtics with their, you know, most championships. By the way, we're third with six, but those teams both have 17. They had a little head start. It is crazy. You know, and the Knicks have built a brand with good basketball in the past, but in Madison Square Garden. So I, I think brand is really important. Market size does matter, but less. That's interesting because that's kind of contrary to our world, my world. Market matters. If the market is not growing and if the market's not big, there's only so much you can do with the perfect product in that market. Last question, is this market really growing? Well, NBA, yes. So you're a venture capitalist. If you're looking at sort of addressable opportunity, there's two sports that are global. It's soccer and it's basketball. Okay. And soccer, you have leagues all over the world already. So the difference is the NBA is the dominant league in the world. All the And by the way, the second best basketball league in the world is the NBA G League. Santa Cruz Warriors won nine games in a row. We're in first place in the single site in Orlando. That's neither here nor there. But it's unquestionably growing. International is a huge part of that. As you look at sports betting, right, which has been a hot button thing, getting legalized state by state, California will probably be last. But think about the engagement there, right? Like you're out of the playoffs. It's a meaningless game, but somebody's betting on the game. They're now more interested. So that's a huge growth opportunity. You know, I, I talked about digital. The world continues to change and it just creates more opportunities. The value right now is in the rights holder. It's all about content. Live sports content is the most valuable content there is. No one wants to watch a basketball game on DVR. I do do it on, on occasion, by the way, because I watch every game and sometimes you have to. I have a four-year-old, you know. But live sports content is so valuable. So being the owner of that content is critical. You know, we talk about the revenue growth we've seen over the last 10 years, and we talk about how that gets even bigger over the next 10 years. So undoubtedly growing. I love it. That's a great place for us to put a bow on this thing. I always wrap them up with the same couple of questions. The first, what does the word grit mean to you and how do you or your teams apply it? So one of the things I said I'm going to double down on is, is do what it takes to get the job done. But I think it's that the grit is like that commitment that's it's persevering through adversity. And we talked about this a little bit, like where you see what people's true character is, but it's making the best of, of the situation no matter what it is and always doing what it takes to get the job done and looking forward. If you're fresh out of college, you love the Warriors, you want to get into sports, are you hiring? When are you hiring? If so someone hears this, what's the best way to get a hold of you? You can email me or LinkedIn's always a good resource. And a lot of people do this already. We are always hiring. We're in the pandemic right now, but we're always looking for good people. We just are. I mean, people are your most important asset. So I would say LinkedIn is the best way to get a hold of me. All right. Last question. Is there going to be a Warriors game in the stadium this season with fans? I'm going to say... You got to ask the health officers for the state of California. I'm betting yes. I'm betting yes. I'm going to bet yes as well. You know what the better question is, Juven? That's a good question. Even better question is opening game of next season. Do we have a sold out crowd at Chase Center? 
I'm asking you now. Are you kidding me? Undenied opening day is October. Oh, without question. If well, if the question is, is the pandemic going to be over? My God, if we're at the point where people, everyone's not vaccinated by then, that's a problem. If the question is whether there's enough fan interest, I'd be worried that you don't have enough security there. I think you're going to get the doors broken in. It's going to be so much excitement. I agree with that. I was asking the first part and I'm going with your answer. That's the most important thing we talked about today. And I agree with you 100 percent. I couldn't agree more. I have been more optimistic than I should be during this thing. Fingers crossed. I think there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Brandon, thank you so much for your time. Likewise, Juven. A lot of fun. That's it. Thanks for listening. If you're just discovering the podcast, we have a lot more episodes with CROs from organizations like Snowflake, Twilio, Slack, LinkedIn, Box, etc. If you want to keep up or support the show, the best way to do so is by following us on Spotify, subscribing on Apple, and leaving a review. Thanks. Talk soon.